All right, so we got the word from the Lord. Two different people that he spoke to on the same day that we needed to be strengthened in our core, and we've been praying for souls, that we are going to be a church that reaches lost people. Just like the missionary in Columbia, to wherever God would have us to put our feet, we're looking for souls. When we believe strongly that the word about getting strong in our core was about being prepared for those souls, right? They're going to be worldly people. They're going to be people struggling in their marriages. They're going to be people that don't know Jesus or have a wrong perception of who Jesus is and what he's like. And he wants us, be praying that I breathe as I talk. I keep running out of breath. Inhale. Um, that we need to be ready for when they get here, right? And I know I was that guy 10 years ago. Matter of fact, this is my 10-year anniversary when I started coming to church. February will be my 10-year anniversary of actually getting saved. Probably it was more like the second or third time I did it because I really didn't understand it too much. But like 10 years, and I was that guy in the world. All this was nonsense to me. And they're going to come like that. And if we're not prepared, they're going to stay like that because they're not going to see any different. So that's the context of the messages that I've been sharing with you. This will be the fourth week now. And probably the context of every message, but not maybe in, in quite as specific a fashion. So today we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about inside the church. We, we looked at what Jesus commanded. What do we do? And it was go out and make disciples. It was very outward focused. And then we talked about actually being a disciple. What, you know, what does he expect of us as disciples? We took a look at that. Then we looked at... Um, fruit. What does fruit look like? It's like the chorus of this song was the answer to that question. That's fruit. Compassion and mercy. And now today, we're going to look inward because the Bible speaks a lot to how it is that the church is supposed to be about the church itself. How we look after each other. How we care for one another. So that'll be uh, the fourth message. I mean, it wasn't a series until I guess it became a series. It didn't all come at once, but I think we're on a different topic starting next week. So we really need to get this, okay? So three things, the three perspectives we're going to look at about inside the church, us with each other, are that we're part of a body, that we're to serve one another, and that we need to be very careful about stumbling blocks. Okay, first, being connected to the body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27. Short right to the point scripture. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Jesus is the head. We're the body. We are not any of us the body. We're members of the body. If you think about everything that you see, there's nothing that stands by itself. A tree, big majestic oak or maple, they're so beautiful right now. But none of those trees, if the sun doesn't shine, the tree can't live. An acorn falls to the ground. If it doesn't go in the dirt and get nourished some way, the tree can't grow. The tree can't be a tree. You say, man, you're an oak. Well, oak needs help. That's the picture that God wants us to get. He doesn't want us to be the independent cowboy, the American dream. I don't need you. I can do it all myself. You might, but you won't do it well. He wants us to understand that we're part of the body, and he's the head. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16 And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and some as teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness 
in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, that's called the, the five-fold ministry. These are offices within the church. Everybody can have a pastoral gift. Everybody can have an evangelical gift. Everybody could have some apostolic or some prophetic anointing. But these are specific chairs. These are offices that people sit in within the church, given to the church by God as a gift for the purpose of equipping the saints. It says for, uh, in my New American Standard for works of service. In the King James, I think it is for the works of the ministry. Matter of fact, I didn't start how I, I wanted to start. Let's, we're going to round up back to the very beginning. Repeat after me. He's talking to me. Right? Look in the mirror. He's talking to me. While am I talking to you, right? Mike, I'm talking to you. Everybody, I am speaking to you. Sometimes I think when I'm standing up here, people think I'm talking to somebody else, but I'm not. You're all in a different place, and you'll all receive this from a different perspective based upon who you are, based upon how your life has been, based upon your joys and your hurts, your successes and your failures. You receive things based upon how, you, how your, your life kind of filters them. But you've got to understand, I'm not talking to the guy behind you or the guy in front of you. I'm talking to you. Jesus is speaking to all of us. Because sometimes I think in this country and in this culture, we think, well, they pass this thing around. I put money in it. Therefore, I pay for these people to do this work called ministry. And, and the truth is that you have people in chairs to do specific things. That is to prepare you, me, for the works of service, the works of ministry. So when there's sick people that need to be healed, he's calling you to heal them, to put your hand on them and say, be well in Jesus' name. Sickness, go in the name of Jesus Christ. There's power in his name. To prophesy, to get words, knowledge, wisdom, all these gifts, uh, miracles, tongues, interpretation, all of it. It's, it's not, we think the guy with the microphone is the mighty man of God, and he's not. He's just a guy with a microphone. It's all of us, the church, to do the works of ministry. Okay, catch back up. Just back over some of these scriptures. Be in the body. Speaking the truth in love. We're reading the Gospels four times in a year. I keep telling you, I hope that's not the only time you're in your Bible, but at least if it is, you're in your Bible, and I promise you, if you'll seek Jesus, you're going to find him. He says that if you seek me, you'll find me. If you come after me with all your heart, I promise that I'll show myself to you. And as you find him, you'll want more and more and more. He's the best drug ever. We have to know the truth. We can't speak to things that we think. We need to speak to things that we know. We know them because his word teaches them. We know them because if we're born again, we have the anointing that dwells inside of us, the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in 1 John that you need that no man teach you. That's, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have discipleship and training and teaching, but that the Holy Spirit, the anointing, will lead you to all truth. We have these things. We have these tools. He's given them to us. He expects us to use them because someone's going to come to you. There's a, there's a lady came called up. Marriage was falling apart. She said, my friend's husband's at church told him to divorce me. I'm like, yeah, you got to be kidding me. That's not truth. You cheating on him? No. The Bible doesn't give him permission to do that. That wasn't truth. That was flesh. Ooh, I wouldn't want to be married to her. 
Divorce her. We'll find you somebody better. Not truth. You've got to know the truth. Okay. Each joint, all the parts fitted together, held together what every joint supplies. I used to be afraid to tell you you have to come to church, that you have to participate in church. I'm not afraid to tell you that anymore, and it's because of verses like this. There's so many things that get put in our paths that try to keep us busy to keep us from a place of fellowship. Every joint supplies something. Remember that, you probably not all of you know this, but I was praying one morning and the Lord gave me this picture. I can't get it out of my head. It's a Lego. And I'm, I'm praise God that I got a picture. Usually I don't get that kind of stuff. I wish I'd get more. I love the seedless orange and the Lego. More of that, please, Lord. <laughs> I love you, John. Yeah, I forgot to turn mine off once, too. Um, anyway, he gives me a picture of a Lego, and I couldn't understand. Like, what, you know, am I Dorian off again? And, and, and eventually, as I was praying and asking, I started to see the Lego and another Lego. And what the Holy Spirit was saying is that every person has a gift, has something to offer. And that's the, the sticking out parts of the Lego. And everyone has a need, a requirement, something that they can't satisfy themselves. And that's the, the whole parts of the Lego. And that when the church is strong and right, all the Legos are plugged together because I got something that Mike needs. And, and, and if, if I'm absent from Mike, he's never going to get it. God didn't make Mike to have everything. He made Mike to need something from somebody so that we would be like this, so that none of us would be little gods, that we would always have a need that he could fulfill from someplace else in the body. I have a need. Last week, the minute I got done preaching, the devil started getting in my ear, and he just started telling me, you blew it, you punted, you fumbled, it was terrible. And, and then people started to encourage me. What are you talking about? That was a great message, Pat. I mean, I needed it badly because... I was a little bit under attack. And, and God sent the body to give me what I needed. Every one of you guys, don't let the devil tell you you don't have something. You do. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's powerful. But you have to be present to use it. Present over coffee. Present in a small group. Present at the ladies' book study. Present on Sunday morning. Just present together. Together. Everybody's got something. Everybody needs something. God created us to be dependent. I should read my notes more. I messed myself up. So the question is, and we'll be done with this part, do you see yourself as dependent? I want you to see yourself as dependent. I want you, and if you don't, read the scriptures. This is Ephesians chapter 4. It's amazing. It's, it's just really good stuff. Ask yourself, do I have dependencies or am I a cowboy? I don't need anybody's help. I can do it all myself. Because I promise you that's a lie, and, it, and it's a lie to harm you, not to help you. It's good to do the things that you can do, but don't assume that you don't need help, and don't be afraid when you need help to ask, because God has created a body to feed itself. Picture I always get is this. If, if I were to take my thumb, if my thumb just decided, you know what, I'm going to go find me a skinny body. I don't like this body anymore. Fingers are too short, palms too chubby. I'm going to get a different body. You could disconnect that thumb from my hand, and I'd struggle. Like, I could probably brush my teeth, but I, I, don't, I couldn't hold the toothbrush quite as good, but the rest of me would be okay. We'd survive. We'd limp along. It wouldn't be as good as if the thumb stuck around, right? But the thumb's dead. The thumb can't live without the blood vessels and the nerves and all the tissues that feed it and supply it, that come from the lungs, that come from the heart, that come from the bone marrow that produces the blood. The thumb can separate itself from the body, but it's going to die. It can't live by itself. The rest of the body, less than it could be, but it's probably going to survive. 
but not the part that walks away. Okay, I think I've done stomped that dead horse's head to death. Um, we're to serve one another. Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who are of the household of the faith. I've been, this, this verse and other things in the Bible have really stirred me to think. It's like God's kindness is what leads a man to repentance. But how would a man ever see God's kindness if not through other men, right? Other people. He's kind through other people. Um, and I wonder if all this benevolence and all these things we do is really the way he wants us to do it. When we help other people that aren't part of the church, they don't see, the ch- they don't, they don't see in a way that would cause them to want to become part of the church, right? And, and I don't mean the church on the street or, or the Freedom Center Church or you know, any particular congregation, but the church, the body of Jesus Christ, when they get connected to the body, they become saved and born again, and their eternity now is in Jesus versus away from God um, in hell. So I'm wondering to myself, what are we supposed to do? Well, here it says that we're to look after everybody, but especially, first people we look after is us. So when, when the person in the tough economy says, how come nobody at church on the street is hungry, and I'm hungry? It's because of our love one for another that they'll see they're disciples of Jesus because they love one another, and maybe that's what draws in to help people. I don't know. I'm still struggling with this a little bit. We're not going to stop helping people outside the church. If somebody comes, we try to help every single person. We really do. But our first priority needs to be the church so that people outside the church will be drawn into the church, not to just draw from the church, but be drawn into the church. Okay, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Let us hold fast to the confession, or the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, in here, we're to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. How come? Because it's probably not something we're going to do all the time just by ourselves. We're going to get discouraged. People are going to make us mad. We're going to get hurt. Who knows what all kind of crazy things that life is going to put on us. And God understood that. That's why he made us to be a body, that we are to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. If you see somebody who's struggling and they're, and they're angry and they're mean, figure them out how to love. Love on them so that they can love on other people. Uh, we're going to go see or go put up drywall on Saturday at this guy's house. Somebody in our church called and said, man, I have this friend. She's, she's friends with his wife. And they're just really struggling. I mean, you know, they've been plowing hard ground and they're trying to get the church going and, you know, they don't even have a lot of money and call them. So we called him. The guy didn't know I was calling. It was a, kind of an uncomfortable conversation. But anyway, it led to him calling me back and saying, hey, if you guys really do want to help me, it'd be a huge blessing if you could help me get some drywall up. We, we were stimulated. Uh, Jessica stimulated us into a place of good deeds that's a blessing for him He's going to be stronger. He's encouraged. He's edified. That's what he's telling us to do. Look after one another. Stimulate each other to love and to good deeds. Um, I'm going to read you Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 8, but I want to read it in two parts. Verses 3 and 4 read this way. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but 
also for the interests of others. So Paul is telling the church at Philippi, he's like, don't do anything that's based in your own selfishness. Consider other people more important than you consider yourself. This has been a huge, 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 huge lesson for me. The Holy Spirit stirred me and told me that I was selfish. And I mean, I knew I was a little selfish, but I didn't think I was as selfish as he thought I was until he started showing me the ways I was selfish. And this, this process of, I just love so much the Holy Spirit inside of me. I love his promptings and the little unctions that you get. Just literally yesterday, um, Annika, Annika's our 10-year-old daughter, and I went and got a pizza from Jets. Jets, thin crust pizza. I think there's that in heaven. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to find Jets, thin crust pizza. I love it. And my favorite part is a crusty edge around the outside, right? So we're driving home, and I got this pizza in the seat right next to me, and Annika in the seat behind, but she can't see the pizza. She knows it's there, though. And so I get a nice crusty edge piece and eat it up, and I reach in and get her a middle piece and give it to her. And She's like, Daddy, can I have the crusty edge piece? And I'm like, no, nah, you can't, because those crusty edge pieces are for me. You know? But I thought, oh, I'll give her one little crusty edge piece and give it to her. And all the while, the Holy Spirit's turning to me. He's like, selfish eats the part that you want that somebody else wants. Selfless, humble, godly eats out of the middle when the other person wants the edge. I mean, it's silly, little stuff like that, but it's so important. And at the end, I ate the last piece, and she's like, any more? I said, nope, that was it. She said, oh. I said, hey, listen, you got all the crusty edge pieces, you know? That's how God works in our lives. That's what he wants us to do. He wants me to care more about her. I, I wish I, I mean, I do, if, if it were life or death in a second. Pizza, I don't know, so much. But anyway, <laughs> it's how God works through us. It's that thing that doesn't sound like anything. It's like your sister and mashed potatoes. It's the Lord. It sounds crazy. Lord, what are you saying mashed potatoes? Because she's sick and she won't eat and her husband just made her mashed potatoes and she needs to eat the mashed potatoes. So you get a word of knowledge, it's mashed potatoes. It might actually be God because he cares. He wants us to care. He wants us to consider others more important than ourselves. And honestly, I was so blessed. Afterwards, I'm so blessed. It's like, Lord, I actually did good. So that's two th uh, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He's talking about us. And then he gives us the example in 5 through 8. He says, have this attitude in yourself which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So there's the example. It's, it's Jesus. Someday this is going to mean so much more to us because we're going to get to go to heaven and we're going to get to see him sitting on his throne and we're going to understand fully. We're going to know as we're known, the Bible says. We're going to see what it meant for him to come down from the throne and, and be a bondservant, a slave, to not step away from, but to not access deity. Could you imagine if you had somebody coming after you with a knife and you had a gun, Right? And pow, you could shoot them with the gun and they wouldn't get you with the knife. What Jesus did is he left the gun in his pocket and he let it all happen. He humbled himself so that each and every person that ever lived, every sin they'd ever committed, every sin that they are committing, every sin that they might commit was paid for by his sacrifice. The, the man, God, came down from the throne to humble himself to a place to be like us. So that there would be something that was an appropriate offering to God for the sins that we created. 
That's the example. When he's talking about us, consider others more important than yourselves. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Don't just look out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others. That's the example. The one that would humble himself, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Hmm. Okay. So we're, we're to serve each other. We're to look out for each other. We're to recognize that if the bone marrow doesn't produce the blood, there's no blood for the rest of the body. We all have something to do. We all have a need. Don't be proud and worry about asking when you have a need. I was back here. I wanted to get prayed for. I wanted to do a good job. I really wanted to be anointed and, and preach well. Today, I, have, I don't know how many of you guys praying over me. It's just beautiful. I love it because I had a need. I, I have a need for the anointing. And where two or more are gathered in his name and you're asking things that are in his will, he's going to give it to you. And you filled me up. You blessed my socks off. Thank you. You should come home every weekend and do that from college. Yeah. Okay, so now we'll talk last about stumbling blocks. A stumbling block is something that you might trip over, right? It's like this line right here in the thing. If it was sticking up and I stumbled and tripped over it, stumbling blocks are things that we have to be so conscious of. And again, the presence of the Holy Spirit, if we will press in and read the Word and pray and seek the Lord, we'll become sensitive to his voice. Someday, I, I hope that his voice is a real voice in my ear. It's not yet. I mean, I don't, I don't get to hear his voice like he's necessarily speaking words to me, but I really have come to a place of recognizing the unction. Um, I can't even imagine how many stumbling blocks I put in front of my wife over the years, things that, that I've done that would have caused her to stumble, you know, to... to to act in, a, in an ungodly way in our relationship because I, I laid that thing right out in front of her and then called her past it and she would stumble over it and then we'd have a problem. More than anybody, probably my wife and my children, I threw down so many stumbling blocks. Not necessarily at all aware that I was doing it, but now I am aware. I mean, there's times where I have to make a conscious decision before I speak because I hear the voice, this, the unction of the Holy Spirit, and I think, whoa, yeah, that, one, that wouldn't be good. And I have to, I have to hold my tongue. And sometimes I have to beat my flesh down to hold my tongue so that I don't put a stumbling block in front of somebody, something that's going to cause them to stumble. I had, a, um, I had a situation come up. I'm trying to be careful not to give you too much information. Um, of, a, of a man who was having a relationship with a woman that wasn't his wife. And his children found out about it. Now, I talked to the guy, and I don't think it was as bad as it sounds or as bad as it seemed to his children, but by doing what he did, what he knew better than to do, and, and leaving it in such a way that his kids could find out, he put a stumbling block. The wife called me. She said, my kids found this thing from my husband, and they don't want to live in the house, and they don't want anything to do with their dad. And the first thought that came to my mind is those children are commanded to honor their parents. And, and God doesn't give us an out with regard to is the guy a bum? You don't have to honor a bum. You have to honor your parents, your mother and your father, positionally, just because of who they are. They get honor from their children. They might not get honor from anybody else, but children must honor their parents. So I called him, and I said, listen, you just threw a huge stumbling block in front of your children, and you need to get over there and fix it right now because every second that passes, the devil is in their ears, and he's drawing them away from you He's drawing them away from honoring you and he's putting them in a place where God can't bless them because you put the stumbling block in front of your kids. That's an example of a stumbling block. So let's look at some scriptures. 
Uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. It's another one of those Jesus means business scriptures that we've talked about. We haven't talked about this particular one, but he's saying don't put these things out. It's better for this guy that caused the stumble to come to have had this big old stone strapped to his head and thrown him in the water where he would drown and die. Jesus talks about if your hand or your eye causes you to stumble, cut it off. Better that you go into life short a hand or short an eye than to spend eternity in hell. Now, if you look at pornography, don't go poke your eye out. But he wanting you to understand that it's really important. It's really important that if you have something that's causing you to stumble or that you're causing someone else to stumble, that you cut it out to the point of literally disfiguring your body. I mean, he's kind of give you, make a really strong point with these things about your hand or your eye. Let's see, the, the next scripture, he actually gave me this one this morning, so you have to give me one second while I find it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You won't have it on the screen, by the way. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I put my marker there so I could find it. <laughs> In verse 23 and 24. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. Paul is talking here, and, and the next scripture will bring this into focus a little bit more. He's talking about that you have certain freedom in the Lord, but not everything that you're free to do is profitable for yourself, maybe, and for others. So if you then go to Romans chapter 14, verses 20 through 23, you see Paul saying, Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he is, his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. So, in, in Romans and in Corinthians, Paul, in 1 Corinthians, he talks all about these issues of, of eating. It's, it's an example. It, it, it represents lots of things. But in the scriptures in Romans, I love them because what he's saying is, you have this brother, if you, if you read the, all of this in context, you have this brother whose faith is weak. Maybe he's a new believer. And he thinks that if there was some meat that was sacrificed to an idol and he eats it, it's a sin. But God said, you can eat whatever you want. Thank God for it. The earth and the fullness of it is his. Eat what you want. So Paul's got this guy who knows better. And he's about to have a meal with this other guy who thinks if I eat this or I eat that, I'm sinning against God, when in truth it's not a sin. What he's saying is, don't go fix your brother's doctrine. He's approved by me. I'm working on him. You don't have to go tell him how screwed up his belief system is and that he can eat whatever he wants. He says, when you're with that guy, don't eat what he thinks is a sin because you eating what he thinks is sinful might lead him to eat what he thinks is sinful. And if he eats it, it is sin because it's not done from faith. Whatever you do that you believe in your mind is transgressing God, because you believe it to be so, you're transgressing God. So don't do anything that might cause your brother to stumble. Can you drink a beer? Sure. I don't see where the Bible says you can't drink a beer. Should you drink 20 beers at once? You should not. 
But what if your buddy is a recovering alcoholic? What if it is a problem in his life? And you come over and you say, well, it's permissible for me. All things are permissible. Not all edify. And you're going to watch the ball game and you bring a six-pack. Because over the course of a ball game, you might drink a few beers and you won't get drunk and you're not going to have a problem. But what if your buddy stumbles and drinks a beer? You might just cause him to sin and to fall. And you might cause him to get back into a lifestyle that the Lord is trying to get him out of. Be very careful. Pray. Pray that the Lord will show you before your mouth starts to speak what might be a stumbling block to somebody else. And he'll show you. And as he shows you, especially your, your husbands with wives, wives with husbands, and parents with children. That's the place where the devil wants to get those thoughts in your head the most. And the Holy Spirit will stir you. And if it's like me, it'll start off as just a little tiny thing that's really easy to, to, to just write off. Listen for those things because you don't want to cause your brother to stumble. We're a body. We're about loving each other, about edifying, about building up, about strengthening, about encouraging. Stumbling blocks don't fit anywhere in that. Okay, we're part of the body. We're to serve one another. We're going to be careful not to place stumbling blocks in front of each other. This is the end of this conversation. I, I've, I've shared everything that, at least to now, that the Holy Spirit has given me. Everything else that he's stirred inside of me isn't part of this conversation of strengthening the core. So I just want to take a minute, and I want to go backwards and just review the things that we talked about before. At the very beginning... Um, we looked at Jesus in his final instructions to the church. We looked at, if you read Today's Your Day from Matthew 28, read Matthew 28 and you'll see the Great Commission at, where Jesus says, go unto all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them um, in, his name, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all these things that I've commanded you. So the first conversation we had about this whole thing was understanding what he's told us to do. We've been born again. We've traded... We've traded... Uh, thought she was waving at me. She's waving at the baby. Dory, I'm so sorry. Lord, we need to break that off of me. He's told us, once you come in, you need to be about going out. That there are lost souls. There are people that I love every bit as much as I love you that I'm calling back into the, or calling into the kingdom and, and we're to be about those things. So we talked about the last things that he said. We talked about that he told us as the Father sent him, he sends us. So what we see Jesus, how we see him being, well, the things we see him doing, he's sending us the same way he was sent. He did only what he heard the Father telling him to do, what he saw the Father doing, and he spoke only those things that he heard the Father say. That's how we're sent, same way. And that we're to proclaim the gospel and repentance. The people need to repent to receive the gospel. Jesus needs to be Lord to receive that gift of salvation. We have to proclaim that, preach it everywhere, especially in Colombia and Argentine, and Linden, and Fenton, and Swartz Creek, and Heartland, and all those places. The second thing we looked at was inward, at ourselves as disciples, that we need to be transformed, that we're not supposed to stay the same, that Scripture teaches us, I think it was in 1 Corinthians and in Hebrews, where there's these strong rebukes from the writers of those books, those Scriptures about, you're not growing up. I'm trying to get you to a place where, at this point, you ought to be a teacher, but you're just a little baby. I have to continue to feed you meat, or excuse me, milk, when you should be eating meat. Really strong, the word teaches us that standing still isn't an option for us, that we're constantly to be growing and maturing in our faith, in our, in our knowledge, in our abilities, in our relationship with the Lord, so that we can have what he's offered to us, but also so that we can be useful for his purposes out in the world. Um, transformed. 
renewed in our mind. I pray this prayer all the time. I pray it for me and I pray it for you that all these fortresses that are in our mind that are built up, these strongholds that, that the scriptures talk about that are contrary to the truth of the kingdom, the truth of God's word, got to come down. They have to be replaced with fortresses of truth that speak to God's heart and God's will and the things that we know that we have to be transformed, that we would be different because our minds are different. We have to think differently continually more and more differently to become like Jesus. The word in Romans 2 that says that you be transformed, that you conform no longer to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that word transformed is the same word that Scripture uses when it talks about the change in Jesus when he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration where he started his clothes and he glowed kind of like Moses when he came off the mountain transfigured. That's the change. It's not a little change. It's a big change. Okay. Then, um, all throughout those messages, we talked about that we really need to understand that Christianity is not a casual pursuit. And there was three courses of scripture that we used. Uh, there's a million of them we could have used, but there's three that we used to, to really bring home that point. Um, one of them was the parable of the talents, right? The master, in this case, uh, in our case, the Lord Jesus has given talents, given gifts, given things. We all have the Holy Spirit. We all have gifts and talents that we are to use for his purposes. And two of the three people that got the talents from this master, two of these three slaves, took and exercised those things that he gave them and returned to him more than he gave them. So one got five, he gave him back ten. The five that he had plus five more. The other got two and he gave him back four. Two plus two. But the third guy only had uh, got one and he only returned one. He did not turn any profit. There was no return on the investment that the master placed in that person. And the way that the master described that person was wicked and lazy. Wicked and lazy. That's us if we don't take and invest what he's given us. He expects us to. Second one was um, the church at Laodicea where Jesus is speaking to the church at Laodicea, and he says, I see what you're doing, and you're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. You're just kind of one foot in, one foot out. You go to church on Sunday, and you do what you want the rest of the week. He said, I spit you out of my mouth. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means they lost their salvation or something, but I don't want Jesus to ever use that phrase about me or anyone that I care about, that he would spit them out of his mouth. It's definitely not what we want lukewarmness is not at all pleasing to the Lord. And then the third one we talked about was uh, where he rebukes the Pharisees and he says to them that the kingdom of heaven will be taken away from you and given to a people that will produce the fruit of it. So he expects that fruit will be produced just like in the parable of the talents. That something is going to be created, something more than what you started with. John 15 talks about abiding in Jesus and producing fruit and being pruned by the vine dresser, which is the father. He expects us to produce fruit. And then last week, we talked about if all that's true, then what does fruit look like? And we used two different courses of Scripture to talk about that. We used the Scripture um, where Jesus again rebukes the Pharisees, and he said, listen, you guys, you're so legalistic. You tithe your spices. If you had you know, a pound of some kind of spice, mint or dill, you would make sure that you cut out 1.6 ounces, not 1.59 ounces. You're going to be right on the money. You're not going to short me a tithe. But you miss the more important things of mercy and justice and faithfulness. These things you should have cared more about without neglecting the others. And then in the parable or the story 
of the um, sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, where Jesus says that in that day, he's going to separate the nations like sheep and goats, sheep and goats. On his left, he puts the goats, and on his right, he puts the sheep. And to the ones on the right, he says, when I was hungry, you fed me, and when I was naked, you clothed me, and when I was sick and in prison, you came and visited me. And they said to him, Lord, when did we ever do any of those things? And he said, whatever you did to these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it unto me. And then he turns to the goats on his left, and he says, you, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me, and when I was naked, you brought me no clothes. When I was sick and in prison, you didn't come visit me. And they said, well, Lord, when did we not do those things for you? He said, whenever you walk past the least of these brothers of mine, you didn't do it for me. So we understand that fruit from those, I mean, fruit, we could measure fruit a million ways if we wanted to. We could measure fruit as miracles and signs and wonders, the effects, the, the, the gifts flowing through us. But the way God is speaking to us is fruit that looks like compassion, fruit that looks like love, fruit that looks like mercy, fruit that looks like caring for those that can't care for themselves, lifting each other up, sacrificing what we have so that somebody else could have. It's right in Brandon Hayes' letter. It's just taking time that you don't think you have and penning a letter to a guy who's in prison that did a horrible thing because he's the least of these to the Lord, and God loves him. It's that kind of stuff. That's what fruit is. And then today we looked at being a body, serving one another, and... Um, not creating stumbling blocks. That's the gist of it. There's one scripture. I, I got this Saturday night or Friday night. I've never spoken from this scripture before, and it, it, and it hit me so hard. It all boils down to this. John chapter 12, verses 24 through 26. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. We're called to be dead people. We made a trade. The trade was now for then. I challenge anybody. I promise you, after you read the Gospels four times in the next year, you, you'll come to this conclusion. If not, you need to show me where I'm wrong. Jesus demands everything, all of it. He might not always ask you to give it to him, but you better be prepared. Otherwise, he's going to continue. He loves you. Don't, don't, someday I've got to preach on how much God loves you because he, he loves us in, in a ways that we, we don't even have the capacity to understand or imagine. But he demands everything. Unless we die, we produce no fruit. Because if we don't die, we stay the same. We don't get transformed. We don't get filled with love. We don't sacrifice for others. We don't do any of those things that are required for the kingdom to, to flourish and to prosper. We have to be dead people. Now, he's going to cause each and every one of us, right? He says, if you don't uh, deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Your cross today might be different than my cross today. But every day he'll be starting to show you something. He, he's so gracious that he doesn't blow us up with everything at once. But he'll show you. And you should be obedient. You, talk, you see Israel going around and around and around and around the mountain in the wilderness. That's kind of a picture for us when, when he says, Pat, my goodness, you're her father. Give her the crusty bits, you know? She loves the crusty parts. Who cares? 
about the crusty parts. Learn to be generous. Learn to care more about that she has what she wants than you have what you want. And honestly, thin crust Jets pizza is awesome in the middle. Not, not as good as the edge, but it's still great in the middle. It's not like I was really suffering to eat the middle of the Jets pizza. That's what he's calling us to do. He's calling us to die. He's calling us to produce fruit. He's calling us to care more about him and his kingdom and the people that he loves than we care about ourselves. And in the process of doing that, what happens is we receive his love, we receive his blessing, we get edified, we get encouraged. When we need something, the body finds us and provides it for us. We, we do those things and we will be strong in our core and we will be prepared for the souls that he's got for us. I wish it wasn't so late. They must have went out for coffee. I saw them go out the door, the band. <laughs> a quick testimony. Um, we own the church, right, over on Seymour Road. And the church on Seymour Road has got a parsonage on it, a house. And there's a lady that lives in the house, a sweet, wonderful lady. Um, but we changed her program for her rent. Turns out that some months I think we were paying her to live there because of the way we were doing the rent program. And when we did it, she got really angry. And I mean, she is a nice lady. She's a lady you want living in your house, just really a wonderful lady. But she got mad. And she called me on the phone, and, you know, she was kind of dressing me down and just like, you know, you guys are blah, blah, blah. And I was trying to help her. I'm like, hey, listen, if we're going to, you know, we don't want you to have to move. We don't want to hurt you. Let's figure out a way to make it work for you. We, we don't want you to have a problem. And she hung up. She just literally just hung up on me. So I sent her a text message. I said, I don't know if we got disconnected or you hung up on me, but... Um, you know, you disappeared from the phone. We love you. We care for you. Please, you know, talk to us. Let's figure out how to make this work. I got a text back. Um, not your problem. I sent her another one. Try to love her some more. Next one said, leave me alone. This is not your problem. And that's the last word I had with her for probably three weeks. Every time I'd be over there doing some work or cutting the grass, she'd always come out and, you know, chat with me, close the curtains, everything. So last week, I go to cut the grass, and I park... The, my car over by the garage where the lawnmower is and I you know, get on the mower and I'm cutting grass over by the church building part and I see her coming across the parking lot and she's coming like you know, with a quick step and I'm like hey, you know, here we go she stops me I take the little you know, hair, earphones off and she says you're going to hate me you're going to kill me and I said no you know, I'm pretty sure I don't hate you and I'm not going to kill you what's the matter she backed her car into my car and smashed my fender and I felt the grace of God come over me. you got to understand, I, I don't get a paycheck, right? I haven't had a paycheck in three and a half years. Teresa and I live out of our savings account. This is during the time of the Second Great Depression. Our investments are not going up and to the right. We're being tested in faith with our finances. We bought that little Honda car. We said, that baby's got to last us 10 years. We're careful. I park it next to the trailer so that I don't have to put it in reverse because I know that thing's only got so many reverses in it and I can pull out frontwards. That's how anal I am about this stupid car. And she smashed the fender. And my words were, so what? It's just a car. Amen. Fenders can be fixed. I have insurance. $500 deductible. But somebody even told me I might not have to pay that. But seriously, I didn't care. You know how out of character that is for me? I, you better find 500 bucks because you. she said, I saw it. I knew it was there. I just turned the wheel too soon and I smashed your car. I said, I don't care. I got lawn to cut. Bigger deal. Let me finish the grass. She called me on the phone. She's been my friend again. God cared about her. He knew that he's, she's his daughter and, and she was going to get junk in her heart. And that bitterness that she had towards me 
was going to cause her pain. And honestly, if it wasn't for baby Selah and some of these different things that the Lord's been showing me, it's like, it's, it's, I say, it's all yours, God, until somebody wants to bend my fender. And then I get tested. And you know what? This time, it really was his car. I don't care. I just don't care. I'm not trying to make you guys think I'm a wonderful person. But I'm way more wonderful than I used to be, you know? There's probably some wonderful left to do. But that's an example of the Holy Spirit working inside of me, changing me, making me be different. That she could smash my car a hundred times. If it gets her back into a right place with the Lord, it was worth it, every bit of it. All right. Man, I did it to you again. We're late. Can we just do the chorus? You guys came up here. We should sing something, right? Do the chorus of that song. And think about fruit. This is fruit. This is what God means when he says fruit, this compassion and this hurting world. And mm, I love you guys. God bless you. I hope that I hope that it meant something to you, all these talks about getting strong in your core. I hope that you know that he's, he's using me. I'm the donkey with the voice, but he's talking to you. He's talking to me. It's up to us now. There's no. That was the beginning of the whole thing was the plan is us. There is no other plan. It's the Holy Spirit and us. That's it. God bless you. Yeah.